Well, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Another Shabbat, and I have a wonderful brother with me tonight. Uh, today, I keep on saying tonight because I'm used to doing the uh, live streams at night. So I have uh, Yitzhak with me from Taste of Torah. He, I, I actually initially he was going to come on later, but he's he is here earlier, which is all the better. So Yitzhak, I'm going to pull. I'm just going to pull you in here right now. Shabbat Shalom, brother. How are you? Hey, doing good. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Good to see you. Yeah. So yeah, I you know I I ran across your material first thing on TikTok, and I thought you you know you, you're doing a wonderful work over there. You got some uh, awesome teachings and uh, videos that you put over there. So I thought you know I just got to invite this brother on with me and uh, have have a chat, have, have have some good old fellowship. Absolutely. No, I I love uh, your content as well. I mean, you know, just bringing the truth with the spirit of of the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit, you know, I mean, you could just see the passion in, in, in your heart and your voice. So it's a blessing to finally, after all this time, come on alive together. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, I invited him uh, before and unfortunately he wasn't, he wasn't able to come on, but thank God we're we're here now. So Yitzhak, like for those of you who don't know you, uh, could you just like let people know like who you are, a little bit of a self-introduction, if you will? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Yitzhak, uh, which, or for everyone else who can't pronounce that, Isaac. Um, and I live in the sunny San Diego, California, or California, whichever way you want to put it. Um, yeah, so I uh, actually am... Jewish on my mother's side. I was not raised Jewish. I was raised in a completely opposite side of my heritage. In fact, it was hidden from me until I had to find out through ancestral research and doing genealogies. And then they finally said, oh yeah, by the way, you're, you're a Jew. Uh, so um, yeah, so I, I have been kind of across the, 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 the spectrum of uh the the faith world you know dabbled here dabbled there but baruch hashem praise god he uh he hogtied me and brought me back into uh into the truth onto the narrow path and and it really all started in 2019 when i went on my birthright trip to israel and uh, I, it was an orthodox jewish trip definitely don't believe in yeshua on that trip you know those people in the tour guides but it was on an orthodox jewish trip where i met yeshua the messiah and and it has been just an amazing experience ever since then and um uh, and so i ever since i've just been called by the lord to be a jew for jews and to just show the jewishness of our messiah and uh, just connect people to the rich history and heritage of the Hebrew scriptures and, uh, and the Jewish Messiah. So, wow. um, that's, that's awesome. Studying. awesome. So we'll see, we'll see if the Lord has a rabbinic, uh, ordination for me, a smicha in the future, but I am studying at a messianic yeshiva. Um, so that, that occupies my time quite a bit. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't help but think, I know, I know of a guy actually lives not too far from me. And, um, uh, as you're talking, I can't help but think about him. And, um, he's a guy similar to you. Like now you didn't really specify, but I would assume like you were, you grew up in like a nominal Christian kind of background. Is that, 
Oh, Wesleyan. Yeah. Wesleyan. Okay. Yeah. So similar to this other guy I'm thinking about, he, like he, um, his mother is Jewish mm. and his dad is Christian and mm. he's, and he is more Christian. Like he knows his mother is Jewish, but he's yeah. like all Christian, Christian going to church, like in the, the mainstream kind of Christian thing. And I'm thinking, Oh, there's so much richness in there that you got, like, what are you doing? Like, at least, you know, look into the messianic side of things. There's, you know, something like that. And so I can't help but think about that guy when you're talking. Now you mentioned that you, you, you found out about it through looking into your genealogy. Did you do like a DNA kind of thing? It started off with that. Um, wow. So it's with Ancestry.com and 23andMe, which are things that, for most of my life, I was skeptical about, I didn't think there was anything of it, but I really look back now in hindsight and see that the Ruach, the Holy Spirit was the one that guided this because the Lord knew the direction he wanted me to go and the ministry to be a, a part of, and he had to break down that barrier. And so he showed me, you know, through ancestral DNA research. And then after that, it went into, okay, I need to find records. I need to find immigration stuff. I need to find marriage certificates. I need to figure out like, what is this story? Um, and it is phenomenal. I mean, it's a mother's, 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 mother's um, uh, genealogy of, of Judaism. So um, coming in from Poland, uh, our people came from Poland and, and various other European areas of that, um, that region. And so, um, and then they, of course, we can trace it back to another country that's a little closer to Israel, but we haven't traced anything to Israel yet. Um, but we definitely have mostly Ashkenazi background. And then I do have a little bit of a Mizrahi connection as well. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that began in 20, 2019. Yeah. 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 And so like how involved were you in the church at that time? I did a lot of missions trips. So I, I will say this, I was a surface believer. So my life growing up, I never felt like I was at home. I always felt like I was just going with the flow. This is just what we do. It's a Sunday. We check in, check out, we get ready in the morning. And then after church, it's back to normal life. And then you go back to church and it's just kind of like this, this part of your day. And so I was a part of um, the children's ministry. I did uh, ministry work as a, as a young, young boy traveling with the, the ministry to uh, Mexico, the orphanages, doing puppet shows. Um, and then I was working as a youth, uh, an assistant youth pastor with the ministry. Um, it was, I did like the cameras for the main sanctuary, you know, I was doing offering. I was the youngest person to ever be allowed to do the offerings and the tithes and, and to put it in the back where the banking area is. And, um, and this is with Skyline Church with extremely well-known pastor, Dr. Jim Garlow, who's married to Rosemary Schindler Garlow, uh, who's related to Schindler of the Schindler's List. And, um, and so like, this is a mega church in San Diego. Um, and so I kind of grew up in that mega church environment. Um, but I've never felt home until I went to a Messianic Jewish synagogue who actually started in that church I grew up in. Wow. By Joel Lieberman, the president of the Messianic Jewish uh, Alliance of America. And, um, 
And it's that tiny congregation of about 70 some odd people versus the congregation of 4,000. I actually feel the Holy Spirit for the first time ever. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, I see we have a few more on TikTok there. Um, you guys are only seeing me. You're probably wondering, who is he talking to? Is he talking about him, talking to himself? No, I'm talking to actually Yitzhak uh, from Taste of Torah over there on um, TikTok. He's got a page, but I'm on YouTube right now talking to him. You guys are interested in actually listening to what we're saying. Go over to YouTube and look me up over there at Christopher Enoch. You'll find me there right now. Um, so what would you like for those who are there might be people that are watching they're like well i'm kind of and i'm a christian like maybe if maybe they are they are where you used to be when you were part of that mega church what do you like what was the the major things that brought you into where you should be it's a great question um and it's actually one of the things i think about the most is how amazing god is first and foremost um, and, and, uh, you know, his plans are far better than our plans. Um, but the first thing is I've always had a heart for Israel, but I didn't know why. Like growing up, I've always been interested in Middle Eastern, like culture, Middle Eastern languages, the, the, the environment, the food, um, Israel in, in particular, but I just never knew why my heart was burning for Israel and the Jewish people. A lot of my friends were Jewish. And so it's like, I just felt, I don't, it, was a, it was a magnetic pull. Um, later, of course, now I look back and see that that's just all the, the Holy Spirit right there um, lining things up. But the main thing for the church environment was I began to question, when I started looking into the scriptures for myself, instead of for reading it from the pulpit or hearing it from the pulpit, I realized a common theme with Yeshua and his followers. They went to synagogue. They did the Levitical feasts and festivals. They, you know, they, they kept Shabbat. They were thoroughly Jewish. And then I literally remembered one moment where I was in the church and I just looked around me for a second and I just realized this doesn't look anything like what Yeshua and his followers did. I mean, I don't really see how we are imitating. How are we being like him? It almost as if we are being the exact opposite of him. Yeah, we got the niceness down. We got the, uh, you know, not, not, not to be offensive, but on my dad's side, he grew up on the Mormon side, but the Mormon smile, you know, the famous Barbie doll smile of like super happy. Like we got the nice, nice stuff down. We got the charity down. We got the missionary stuff down, but where's the depth? Like we, we were so surface and I knew something was wrong and it was really that coupled with the, the, the synagogue that started at the, at the church as well. Uh, when I went to the synagogue for the first service, I started realizing now the connections, like I'm looking <laughs> around, there's a menorah on the, over here. There's, you know, the, the rabbi's wearing the, his talit. He's, he's at the Bema. He's at the, the seat of Moses, if you will. He's, he's doing what I, what I literally am reading in the scriptures. And I found that connection. 
Wow. Yeah. I just see some of the comments there. The Tower of Time. Now he was at, he was on the other um uh live stream that I was on earlier today and he's he said, Yes, it was a great blessing getting a double portion from Brother Enoch today. Thank you very much, uh Tower of Time. Jordan, speaking about what you just said there, uh Itzak. Now, excuse me, I know I'm not pronouncing your name. How, no. Okay, can you teach me teach me exactly like how how is it is it Itzak? Itzak. Uh, so the 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 middle is a ch, it's a guttural. Okay, okay. okay. Eats chak. Eats chak. There you go. Eats chak. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have to practice that a little bit. I can practice live, I guess, um, as I'm talking to you. So yeah, uh, Jordan says it seems to be a relatable case for a lot of people. And, you know, I see that as well. Uh, you know, there's so many people I talk to, especially doing and saying the stuff that I say. You know, and a lot of things that I say, I realize it's it's provoking, but I want people to be mm-hmm. to um, to be provoked to think, to think mm-hmm. for themselves, even if it means to be a little bit to ruffle their fur a little bit the wrong way sometimes, because that's sometimes what you need in order to actually think for yourself. And so um, I find that often that's what happened with me. Although I don't have the same background as you had uh, have there. It's um, <laughs> hot. Um, I mean, Hebrew, I have, I pardon me. Hebrew expert already. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in in the, in the church. Uh, I, I shared actually that testimony just earlier today on the other stream, but um, yeah, it's one of the things that really brought me brought me uh, to where I am today is thinking for myself, reading the scriptures for myself, thinking for myself, not relying on someone who relied on someone else who relied on someone else, and because you go, that's how you get all this, uh, for lack of a better word, pollution that comes in. It's like the telephone game, right? It's like he said, she said, he said, she said. And by the time you get to the end, it's like a total mess. So you go right to the source. You go, let's go right back to um, first century Christianity, if you will, or first century Judaism. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure which, where you are with this uh, Yitzhak. Yitzhak. Hey, um, <laughs> um, but I think that first century Christianity as it like let me just back up a minute because a lot of people it depends on how you define christianity i define for the most part i define christianity the way it should be anyway is is the way that yeshua and his 12 disciples lived and taught the uh the doctrine and the practice of the believers in the in the book of acts that's how i define it and i i think that christianity using that definition and judaism was was pretty it's the same with just i mean okay so you got some people that don't believe that yeshua is the messiah but apart from that that's about i mean what else you know it's it's the same now it's like so divided i you know there's that thing they call it the great schism back in when the um the cat the roman catholics and the orthodox split off around the first millennium there I think that there's something more than the great schism. I think it's the greatest schism. And I think that was a schism between the Christians and the Jews. Mm-hmm. You know, back um, second century anyway, way back yeah. then. Yeah. So, but I find that so often um, that people are um, 
coming to me and they're like, you know what? I, I just started reading for myself. I started studying for myself. I started thinking for myself and, and here I am. It's like, Hey, well, that's exactly what happened to me too. Um, yeah. Psalm 94 says Shabbat Shalom, everyone. And Jordan says, yes, I believe that's to what you are saying. Yitzhak. All right. So what, what is really hot, like burning on your heart right now? What, what is it something that you really want? Like, this is what, this is the message you want to get out. What is, what is, is, what is, is the Lord really putting on your heart right now? So the biggest uh, burn that the Lord has been really placing on me is the simple message of, cause I was losing, I was kind of losing hope and being very, uh, pessimistic about the future of my Jewish brothers and sisters who don't yet, I say yet, believe, I'm speaking life into it, who don't yet believe in Yeshua as Messiah. And the Lord placed this on my heart, which is they're walking on the road to Emmaus right now. For the last 2,000 years, Yeshua has been walking right next to them. He's, he hasn't, he's never left his people. He's never once left them. And if you actually read the rabbinic literature, if you read, and not everyone is called to study into extra biblical stuff like Talmud and all that. I have been called into it. I, I try not to go too deep into it, but you can see Yeshua in different parts of rabbinic literature. And it just takes the mana that the Lord can only provide to open their mind going, wait a second. Wait a second. This sounds like a historical figure we've been denying this whole time. This seems like it's the capstone, right? It is the stone, the cornerstone rather, that we've rejected for so long. And it's actually a perfect fit. And it's amazing that, that Yeshua has been walking by them for 2,000 years. And little by little, the Lord is revealing the veil from uh, removing the veil from their eyes, revealing Yeshua to them. Um, and I can tell you numbers and, and, and stories and testimonies of people that our synagogue is connected to in Israel, especially those who are coming from Ukraine, by the way, 30% of the Jews making Aliyah to Israel believe in Yeshua. Wow. 30%. Wow. We have a massive influx of messianic jewish believers going into israel let me tell you we are getting close for israel to say baruch b'shem Adonai, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord so be encouraged is the biggest message that i'm having for christians for gentiles for jewish believers that the lord one has it covered and two prophecies being fulfilled be patient be compassionate and just keep in mind they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. And that goes for our Gentile Christian believers who are not there yet in understanding the Jewish context and the Torah. They're walking on that road too. And so we just have to be patient, compassionate, keep sharing the truth, and uh, just the way the Lord told us walk. Excellent. I think about, um, you know, it really, really speaks to me what you're saying, because I think about the story of Joseph, mm. you know, in, in Genesis and how when he was in that place, you know, at the right hand, 
you know, so to speak. He, you know, his brothers came to him time and time again, and they did not recognize him, but they came to him. They were praying, so to speak, um, and they did not know who they were praying to. And I think that's, you know, that's the case with the Jewish people. When I when I read the story of Joseph and how, you know, his brothers came to him over and over again for their needs or with their prayers, so to speak, um, I think about the Jewish people at the Wailing Wall. That's what I think about. I think, you know, these, they are praying, they are coming before Yeshua. They don't know, they don't know they are, but they're coming before Yeshua. And one day he's going to have that great revelation, just like how Joseph had. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. See what we have here in the. Yeah. So, um, no Google says, wow. Jordan likes this. No Google says, uh, heck yeah, I'm super encouraged. <laughs> good, good to hear that. Yeah, so that's great. Um, is there any frustrations you have? Any any frustrations of it, yeah, like when you're when you're when you're dealing when you're doing what you what you're doing is like whether it's with personal relationships offline or online do you have any frustrations that you just wish that you could you know express sure um i i generally try to live the mindset of simcha of joy and the phrase gam zelotova this too is for the best is kind of a song that's usually always in my heart where if something bad happens this is for the best this is for the best this too is for the best because scripture says all things work to the glory of god for those who love them it doesn't say all good things it just says all all things work to the glory of god because god is in control of everything and uh that is including all angels both bad and good that's an topic for another day but uh for frustration the only thing i get frustrated about i guess is my lack of patience in and wanting to see people have that aha moment i want to see people have that click that i had and so i i tend to lack patience in that area and then i just get frustrated of get to get get right there it's right here it's right there get to it um and then along with that frustration comes with the frustration of um especially in the ministry i'm in too and and you're in is we see weeded out we see how deeply rooted um anti-semitism and uh, uh replacement theology is in the modern church today and um and just the frustration of not towards the people as 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 it says you know we're not against flesh and blood but there's there's spiritual warfare going on and so you know i just i get frustrated in the fact that the enemy stills the adversary still has a hold in this person's thoughts in this person's um faith and i just want to see them redeemed and delivered from that so 
I guess you can call it a good motivational frustration, uh, but it is a frustration nonetheless. I, I get that often myself. It's, you know, you talk to people. Um, I saw somebody just earlier today, actually. Uh, it's like you, you talk to somebody and you give them, like you speak to them in the most clearest, plainest language that you don't, like how could they misunderstand what you're saying? And I th- I don't know, if they probably don't misunderstand, but they just don't click. Like you say, they don't have that, you know, just as you put it, the aha moment. Hmm. And yeah, I, I, I get that as well. And you wish, you know, you wish that everybody would have the aha moment right all at once. And it, but then everything would be over with, right? Then it'd be like, okay, what's the, what, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The millennial kingdom and beyond and the world to come. We will all have the aha moment. I just want people to experience it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not a little too late to experience it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so. I, I don't get it. So some people they hear, you know, I remember being in a, in a meeting before that really, really changed my life. Com- like, uh, and I shared that actually I shared about this earlier, earlier today, there was this meeting, this was like tw- 28 years ago. No, no, 30 years ago. Now, one of the first m- big Christian meetings I was ever at, it was an evangelical meeting kind of thing. And, and it really changed my life to the point where after, um, after I went there uh, every single day, now I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Every single day for three months, I, I wept every single day for three months. It was such a life changing, just a touch. It's such a revelation, such a wonderful experience. And I had somebody sitting right next to me and to wow. them, it was nothing to them. It was like, it's like you were right next to me. And this mm-hmm. didn't this didn't affect you at all, like or you don't even remember it. It's like, yeah. ah, I don't know. I don't know how someone can can experience that. Yeah, you know. So, um, for those people who are in church today, and and they don't care what would you say to them it's one of those things where yeah we need to reach them with the truth i mean that's what brotherly love is supposed to do but in judaism judaism is very much against the whole go out and 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 preach the gospel in the sense of like you have to be a part of us you have to believe you have to be here we have to knock on your door and you have to accept my my gospel but scripture is very clear if they don't accept you dust off your shoes move on and so for those who truly say that they don't care or that they are not interested in learning more there's really nothing i can say to them except well may the lord be with you and and um if you have any questions or need a prayer request or need any you know need someone to come around you and 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 uh lift you up in prayer you know how to contact me you know i'm 
his his house is a house of prayer for all people and so um you know just keep showing that love and that respect but at the same time we have to keep our distance because it's spiritually unhealthy to be in a in a relationship that is completely unyoked uh, unequally yoked and that goes with friendships that it goes with in the church environment unless you're called to stay there for a very specific purpose there might be one person out of a, a mega church of 4,000 that you might need to reach uh, with the truth. That could be a thorn in your side, but his grace is sufficient. So um, for those people, I just say, you know, I'm not here to push. You know, the I was one of those people too. I was a Saul of Tarsus towards, uh, towards the Messianic movement for so long. I was a Saul of Tarsus against those who who had the audacity to teach obedience to the father and and so i get it i get it it's a stronghold it's it's family tradition it it's literally the biggest stronghold and that's what the adversary wanted over all these years he just did little chisels little little additions over time to make this massive stronghold this massive pillar made of stone and it's it is painful to have that broken so we have to have just compassion for those who are very vehement on their anti-status against the things that you know we are teaching and and what yeshua basically was teaching uh, in in all truth um so long story short if they're not interested, then I'm going to stop. I'm going to shake off my shoes and just tell them, you know, where how to contact me if you're interested. Do you think that there are some people that just won't like, like it's, it's like, I don't know how to put this without making it sound not so good, but you think, <laughs> you know what I mean? You think there are some people that just, they're just, they're not just, they're not made for it. They're, they'll never get it. Do you, ever, do you believe? Do you believe that? Obviously, we should have the hope that the Lord will reveal the truth to them in this life rather than the next. But again, from a Jewish perspective, and this is where I have had so much shalom, so much peace with the Jewish ancient Jewish understanding of how to deal with these types of concepts, is that those people serve a purpose just like pharaoh when israel was stuck at the red sea before it was split they're fearing pharaoh is drawing near to uh to israel but in the hebrew it says that when he drew near they drew nearer to god in their prayer and so these people who are not going to get it who are I don't like to use the word destined because I do believe in free will in that case, but that God knows their heart and knows that they're just going to keep hardening it. Is it sad? Yeah, but they serve a purpose. They serve a purpose in this world. And, you know, I, who am I to try to ruin the design that God has? You know, there are going to be people who are purposefully going to harden their hearts and they're going to be an obstacle. But what does Joshua say about obstacles in, in Joshua and Caleb? That you can see past them and see the promise. 
right? They, they're supposed to make the promise even more amazing. And so those people look at it as simcha, as joy, in the sense that you can, it, it emphasizes the promise that lays ahead. Reminds me of Romans chapter nine, the way we're talking, um, especially mentioning Pharaoh. I know there's a there's a Jewish. Um, um, I'm not. I forget where it's from. The understanding that Pharaoh actually was not drowned in the Red Sea, but later he came around and he actually did. He joined the Jewish people. Am I getting that right, or what's there? There is a story uh out there uh a midrash that says that he did join um i don't personally know i i i'm one of those people that i can say both and i can be like yeah he drowned and he didn't drown i i mean the the immersing of of the 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 boys being thrown in the water for example in judaism is seen as both literal and not literal in the same way but in in the greek thinking we have to have black and white we have to have linear. Yeah. We have A and B. And God's like, well, I also have A minus and I got B plus. You know, I got some fractions in there, some yeah. other examples. It's like God is beyond the laws of nature. Why can't he also be beyond the laws of logic? So, you know, it's uh, so I, I personally don't have enough grounding to lean heavily on him joining. Israel, I'm not, it doesn't shake my faith against it, but um, I do believe he did drown physically and spiritually. All right. Happy Lamb says Shabbat Shalom. We have Vita says Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome. Um, Jordan says absolute truth. Here's a question. Um, I believe this would be for you. Uh, is there anything you find super effective against the strongholds? Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> thing is too great for the Lord. Um, I mean, for something that we can share ourselves, it depends on the stronghold. And so to really answer that question, it actually kind of, I'm sorry, but this is a Jewish way of doing things is I kind of, make you open more doors and have more questions with this is do what Yeshua did in his ministry. He sought people where they, he saw people where they're at. Cause that's what God does. He sees people where they're at. Sit down with someone and try to listen to their story, listen to their testimony with discernment and figure out what those strongholds are. And then go into prayer and ask Lord, how can I plant a seed for that specific stronghold? How can I plant a seed for that? So the thing is, is there's so many strongholds. If we had spiritual eyes in the spiritual realm, like truly, it would be like a bumblebee seeing ultraviolet. Like we would be seeing strings of, of soul ties everywhere and everywhere. I mean, it would be a, a network of strings all over the place and each cord is thicker and thinner each cord is made of harder material softer material and it re requires a different type of knife to cut different types of cords and so that's kind of an impossible question for me to really answer except just seek where they're at listen with discernment 
and go into prayer to say, Lord, how can I, through your power, your will, plant a seed to help destroy that stronghold? It reminds me of uh, years ago, I used to, when I was more involved in the Christian church, so evangelical um, thing, uh, I would spend a lot of time going out on the streets and talking to people on the streets uh, about God. And um, I didn't, I found that prayer, if I went out without praying, it was a world of difference as opposed to going out after praying. I remember, I remember it's like, it, actually, it was kind of fun. I mean, I, it was a, a friend of mine and myself, we'd go out and it's like, man, we're not getting much uh, response here. Let's go pray. So we'd go find some, you know, uh, kind of a private spot and pray, come back and boom, 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 boom. It's like you'd get a lot, a lot better response. Yeah. No, and that, and, and that just ties into what I said, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach is, I mean, that's the greatest effect is just be in prayer, be in his will. And sometimes we just have to accept the answer is no. The answer is not yet. The answer is you're not the one to break that stronghold. Sometimes, and I'm experiencing this with my own family, with my own relatives, my parents, that, yeah, I'm their flesh and blood, but I'm not the one called to be the one to break certain strongholds. And yet I'm the closest person blood for that person. It could be some random person down the street that the Lord is going to use. We just got to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Talmud earlier. How would, would you, um, would you recommend that Christians read the Talmud? If you're called to do so, I definitely, um, I mean, with even with scripture, we're supposed to go into prayer because uh, the adversary knows scripture better than we do. He has it all memorized. Um, he used it against Yeshua in the temptation of the wilderness. And then Yeshua used Deuteronomy against them. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's with everything going to prayer. Here's what I've always uh, mentioned to other believers is the, the Talmud is like coffee is water. If you drink too much coffee, it's a diuretic going to dehydrate you. You're going to get dizzy. You're going to have some major effects. It's going to quicken, like make you really hyper, but then you're going to crash or you're going to have dehydration. With every one cup of coffee, you need three cups of water is what I usually say. In Judaism, Talmud is known as wine and Torah is water. But again, what happens if you drink too much wine? And you don't have water in your system. So with the Talmud, I would say, it one, it depends on if you're called in prayer to open it up. And then ask the Lord, where do you go first? Um, I will, however, give all believers two pieces of Talmud that is super effectual in, in having conversations with Jewish non-believers. I'll at least give you two pieces of it that is really, really good. Um, there's a reading daily called the Daf Yomi. Uh, and the Daf Yomi 42A, I actually made a TikTok video on this, 42A, and Moed Katan 28A, both say that the death of a righteous person atones the sins of others, like the red heifer atones the sins of others. 
And so this whole concept of, well, a person can't die for my sins is a big objection from Jewish people. And I say, well, it's interesting because Rashi, who most Jews tend to follow when it comes to his interpretation of Isaiah 53 about being only about Israel and not Messiah, even though other rabbis say it's about Messiah like Rambam. But anyway, uh, he agrees that the death of a righteous person atones the sins of others. So my question to my Jewish brothers and sisters is like, how much more the death of Messiah? Mashiach ben Yosef. How much of his atonement is going to be uh, for others? So um, those are the two pieces I would start with. And if the Lord leads you otherwise, go from there. So I, I'm aware of Moed Katan, but, but the other one, could you spell that? Yeah, so it's two words. Well, actually, in the in the Safari, uh, if you go on Safari, it's only one word. It's Yoma, Y-O-M-A, Yoma. Uh, and the, the, the uh, Perak is 42, and side of the leaf is letter A, so Yoma 42A. Okay. Um, have you... Now, obviously, like, you, you, you know uh, these portions from the Talmud quite well. Have you personally have uh, had any success with talking to your, you know, the Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, like using these references? Mm -hmm. You have? I found that they responded more, not all of them, but the ones I've, I've used these for, they actually responded more positively and openly to Talmud and Kabbalah than the actual Bible itself. And, and it's amazing because, again, God is in control of everything, and he's going to reach his people however way he can reach them, even if it's through their own man-made traditions. If he has to do it, he's going he's gonna to put his, his uh, truth in there. And so um, I found three things really help. Those two passage, passages I shared, and there's actually a passage in the Kabbalah book known as Zohar that actually has opened the eyes of a few that I've talked to. Uh, one of them, I'm not going to say his name, he's on TikTok too. He messaged me back and forth for over two months. He, him and his rabbi, he was going back to his Orthodox rabbi, having conversations because he's questioning Yeshua. The rabbi, of course, is an anti-missionary, so he's doing his spiel. Then he comes back to me with all those spiels, and I'm going back with the objections and the things of, of Kabbalah and, and the Talmud. And he's going back to his rabbi. Baruch Hashem, a couple weeks ago, he messages me saying, I just want you to know, thank you for your time. Yeshua is Messiah. Amen. And he came to his conclusion. And I the mix of the scriptures and Jewish tradition to to show him that Yeshua is Messiah. I, I got a hunch. I don't know if you're into it or not. Uh, if not, no, no, no objection or no, no pressure at all. But I got a hunch of just actually pulling those, those things up and read, reading them. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how much is involved in, in reading them, but um, one question. Okay, so you said that now, am I, let me just put it this way. Am I correct in saying that a lot of Jewish people view the Talmud as a higher authority than the Bible? A lot, a lot of the Orthodox, they, 
they will say that it's not a higher authority, but many that I've experienced, like going to Chabad or going to Asia Torah, these big Hasidic and, and Orthodox Jewish communities, um, they will say that you will not understand how to use Torah without the oral Torah, the oral law. And they believe in Pirkei Avot, uh, in the Pirkei, Pirkei Avot, in uh, chapter one of the Ethics of the Fathers, it says that um, the oral law was given by God himself and that it's divine, that the, the oral traditions, which later became the Talmud, the Mishnah and the Gemara together, became Talmud. Um, they believe that it is the explanation of Torah. Torah is the foundation of truth, but the Talmud is the leaves and the fruit, if you will. Oh, no, I think I lost you. Okay, sorry about that. Oh. Yeah, so it's like the Torah, it's like the Torah is the law. And the Talmud is like the lawyer explaining the law. Pretty much, I mean, when you read it, that's exactly what it is. It's Rabbi so-and-so arguing with Rabbi so-and-so. And this is where we get the phrase, two Jews, three opinions, <laughs> you know. And so, but the Talmud is made up of two books, the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah is super short. You can read it pretty darn quickly. Uh, the Mishnah is just bullet points, all laws, just la, 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 la. The Gemara that's the fun stuff. That's where Rabbi says, oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. Actually, you're wrong. You're wrong. Here's the application. And then there's sometimes saying, you know, we, we both are kind of right. So we're, we're both going to combine together. Uh, it's, it's the debates. It's the conversations, the application. The issue is what I have noticed in conversation is a lot of Orthodox Jews tend to mix Gemara with Mishnah. They think that the Halakha, the Jewish law, is in the Gemara, but that's not Mishnah. That's not the law. That is opinion. And, and the Mishnah is the law, uh, according to the Talmud. And so sometimes they, they elevate the Gemara, the opinions, in some conversations and i'm like wait, wait wait wait, that's not mishnah that's not halakha that's not been ruled in that's a that's an opinion so yeah so sometimes they have that mix so the hierarchy of the scripture in in the jewish mind the torah would be at the top like the the books of moses now would the mishnah be under like mishnah would be under that yeah right. so the and Gemara are one and, and together. It's kind of like a marriage where okay. they became one flesh. The thing is, is I don't think many of them would even say one is above the other. They would say Torah is king. Of course, Torah is, is life. Torah is above. But when they use the word Torah, you have to ask them, what do you really mean by that? Because Torah can also mean the oral Torah. And because in Judaism, the oral law and the written law have been so intertwined and mixed in their studies at yeshivas, it's almost impossible to separate the two in conversation. And so we have to understand, okay, what Torah are we talking about here? 
and and how can we separate so we can look at each other differently yeah i would like to get into reading those things but one thing this is kind of getting a little bit off track but in your how much do you believe paul talks about the oral torah when he mentions law it's it's actually quite a bit um paul is paul is talking a lot about the traditions which is another term for the oral law and there's nothing necessarily wrong with the oral traditions the oral law i mean we see yeshua using the oral law in numerous occasions when he uses the um the pharisaic uh ruling of discrediting witnesses based on the torah of having credible witnesses when it came to the woman of a cotton adultery coming to him that whole passage he was using pharisaic uh, rulings from the school of hillel to discredit witnesses that's why they were all discredited and so he was using oral law in in that in that regard he even says in matthew 23 those who sit at the seat of moses you know we should listen and obey what is the seat of moses it's not a synagogue seat of preaching the seat of Moses goes back in time of judgment. It's a seat of judgment. It's a court. It's a, it's a, the Sanhedrin. And so they're making court rulings, halakha, Jewish law. Um, and so with Paul, he's really talking a lot about traditions. Yeah, go ahead. And the, and the oral law um, application of those traditions, like, for example, with circumcision. Um, you know, he, he really hammers in the, uh, the, the oral tradition is that circumcision led to salvation, basically that in order, that is the true physical sign of one who is actually saved one who has actually got the golden ticket. I got the golden ticket. And that's why we had all these Gentiles who became Judaizers. Judaizers are not Jews. They're all Gentiles thinking you had to become a proselyte to Judaism in order to uh, to be saved. They said, oh, you have to be physically circumcised because that's what the oral law says. It's like, no, no. Deuteronomy actually also says circumcision of the foreskin of the heart. So, <laughs> you know, there's no, no, you don't need to do that. Circumcision, uncircumcision. That's not what salvation is all about, which is proving exactly what we talk about. Torah was not made for salvation. It was made for having a right relationship with God in obedience, which leads to life. And so, you know, it's, uh, Paul is pretty clear in places like Romans 7, I think 1, I believe it is, where he says, my words are for those who understand Torah, who know Torah. He's talking to people who know the law. I think it's Romans 7, 1, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But with Paul's words, it's almost like Talmud in the sense that you've got to read Torah for 40 years before you start getting into the Kabbalah. You know, you got to start studying Torah to understand Paul because Peter's warning in Second Peter 3 is like running rampant right now. Peter's up there going, what are you doing? <laughs> I gave you a warning. 
And all you can focus on is the slight diss that Paul had for me that one moment. Um, but actually, a, a little fun fact too. Before uh, before I talk your ear off here on this this no no go go ahead. Is, um, there's actually a Dead Sea Scroll. I forgot which scroll it is. That could have been a student of Paul at one point, because it's one Dead Sea Scroll. Because the word under the law, or no, works of the law. Sorry, the works of the law that doesn't exist in ancient rabbinic literature. That phrase doesn't exist anywhere but it exists in a dead sea scroll the mmt and, right yeah in that dead sea scroll it literally lists what those works are it's not the whole torah it's the proselyte uh it's the it's the steps of becoming a proselyte to judaism of how to become halachically oral law traditionally jewish and so his whole argument is blown out of the water in modern churches using historical data like the Dead Sea Scrolls that literally say, this is the works of the law, it has nothing to do with Torah. It has to do with the halachic Jewish law tradition of becoming a proselyte of, be, of, of uh, Judaism. I'm familiar with the MMT of the Torah. Yeah. 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 Uh, was it Maasei Ma uh yeah. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is right now anyway, but um Yeah, let's if you could show us um so Mo Moed Katan 28A, Yoma 42A, and the other one was Kabbalah the Zohar. Is there like Yeah, there's I forgot what passage it's in. It's in Zohar or something but if you go into the if you go on on google and type in zohar uh donkey rider it's actually in response to the um uh zechariah 9 9 prophecy that he comes you know messiah comes on on a donkey right and so in the zohar there's this mystery donkey rider and it's an amazing story that as a Yeshua believer, you're going to read it going, how do they miss this? <laughs> this is Yeshua right here. And I will tell you, in my personal experience, Jews, Orthodox Jews who are deeply involved in Kabbalah are the most open to accepting Yeshua as Messiah. Because I don't know, I'm not here to promote mysticism. I'm not here to promote the Kabbalah. There's some major issues with divination in Kabbalah. But because of the nature of what Kabbalah is, they understand the deep concepts of what is going on with Mashiach, with Messiah. And they are the ones that I've had the best conversations with um, concerning Yeshua as Messiah and Yeshua's teachings. And there's an article I put on my link tree on my TikTok profile, there's a whole magazine article that shows Yeshua's teachings are very close in line with Hasidic teachings, with the, the Hasidic Jewish teachings of the Galilee. And so it's really interesting um, why those conversations work the best. But in the Zohar, there's a mysterious donkey rider 
who comes up behind these other two regular donkey riders and they don't know who the heck he is. So they're asking him all these questions and they're asking him like, where are you from? Where do you live? I'm paraphrasing here. Where do you live? And he says, I live in the tower in heaven with Hashem and the poor man. Who the heck is the poor man? And, uh, and he's referring to himself. And then he says, I will give you a name that you will treasure. And it's a name of two letters, Yud and Shin, which spells Yesh. And I'm over here going, this donkey rider of Zechariah 9.9 lives in a tower with a Shem and the poor man. His name is Yesh. Hello. <laughs> I think uh, you're on mute still. I can't hear you. Yeah, sorry about that. I think I found what you what you're talking about uh, about Kabbalah. Is this um, what you're talking about, the donkey driver? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the the story you're talking about is this like this? This is actually a lengthy story. How much of this? Yeah, it's deep. There's a lot okay. of there's a lot of um, obviously commentary with like the, the 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 bold there. I'm assuming I've never been on that website kabbalah.info um but yeah i believe that's the actual zohar and then there's commentary in between that okay so the bold is the actual zohar yeah okay that's what it looks like all right let's just take a look at um safaria uh so we'll look at for, for those who are not familiar with this i'm going to safaria.org and so uh moed katan that would be in the talmud yeah so go in the talmud and scroll down you should see moed uh, there's yoma up there i got it but katan and then 28 and 28a is the one that you're going to want to go on and I believe bottom, so scroll down a little bit. Uh, yeah, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Uh, yep, yeah, so let's see here. Yeah, so scroll up a little bit to four. Pair, uh, the four. There it is. So that whole section is uh, part of it. Okay, so this is uh, Rabbi Ami said, why was the Torah portion that describes the death of Miriam juxtaposed to the, por to the portion dealing with the red heifer? To tell you, just as the red heifer atones for sin, so too the death of the righteous atones for sin. Mm -hmm. Is that the extent of the passage? Yes, yeah, so that whole paragraph four uh that that is um the section that that talks about the the righteous atoning for sin okay um and uh, so the other one thing if you go forward further rabbi elazar says why was the torah portion that describes the death of aaron just juxtaposed to the torah portion discussing the, the discussing the priestly garments this teaches that just as priestly garments atone for sin, so too the death of a righteous atones for sin. So it is actually combining literally 
the uh, the the Aaronic, uh, you know, the priestly system saying this priest, the death of the righteous atones for sin, the death of Aaron is juxtaposed to the portion discussing these things, and it's showing again Yeshua as our high priest is the the tzaddik, the the righteous one whose death atones for sin. So the the people that you shared this with that did not receive it, what was their reason? Um they uh, one of the actually there's only been one person that I've had conversations with who didn't receive it. And I'm trying to remember what their issue of it was. I think they said, well, this is symbolic. It's not really saying it's literal that it's, it's, it's that, but it's rather just kind of symbolic. Like um, it's, it's just poetic. And, and, and reality, it's technically just talking about how because of their righteousness, they've atoned the sins of themselves. Uh, in their death of martyrdom, that they've continued in in obedience, and and the thing is, the Hebrew grammar there, it doesn't support that kind of an argument. It's very literal. It's very much about atoning the sins of others, and not the righteous person. So, but honestly, the conversations I've had, majorly, they all tell me I've never read that one. I, I never, I've, I've never seen that one. Can you show me? And I would show them on Safari, and then they were all, every single one of them, had told me, I got to go to my rabbi and read this. And most of them don't come back. You know, they don't come back to me. They're probably told, listen, don't listen to that guy. Don't talk to him. Um, but now the seed of doubt of what they've already knew their whole life has been planted, and that seed of doubt will turn into a seed of life bringing them to the truth. You know, sometimes you have to go through a deconstruction to go into a reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go into Yoma 42. So this is where we left off, Moad Katan 28a. So Yoma yep. is in uh, the Talmud. Yep. And then you're going to, it's going to be kind of near the top. So you'll oh, see... And then 42A. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see here. I don't know which which uh, mission it is. Let's keep going. Keep going. Okay, there. So um, a little bit further up, further up. So you'll see the part that says uh, Ravia Barkisa died. Yeah. All right. That's where it starts. And how, how far does it go? It goes all the way down to uh, a little past four. Okay. So Ravia Barkisa died and they made a mnemonic out of it. Uh, associating the halakha with his name, the death of Ravia Barkisi atones like the scapegoat, since the death of the righteous person atones for his generation. Rabbi Yitzhak said, I heard a teaching that there 
is the distinction between two slaughters, one of the red heifer and one of the bull of the high priest on Yom Kippur. Uh, slaughter of one of them is valid even if done by a non-priest, and the slaughter of the other one is invalid if done by a non-priest. Uh, should I read more? Yeah, that, that's that's pretty much uh, pretty much it for like that section. But it, again, with those who I've had issues with of Moed Katan, I go back to Yoma forty two A, and I say, all right, well, this one is a little bit more detailed. It's actually talking about a specific person, saying that he atones the sin for the generation, for the generation, and so I'm like. And that's when they say, well, I got to go to my rabbi and, and have a conversation and have a question. So no, this, this whole concept of a righteous person dying for your sins is not foreign to Judaism at all. They just, they use it as an argument against Christianity though. Right. So you're saying it's not really a legit excuse. No, it's 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 a Jewish concept. That's why Jews all around the world still visit the grave sites of old sages like uh, Rabbi Nachman and and the Rebbe of of uh, of the Chabad, the the Chabadniks. You know, they visit all these uh, Rabbi Shimon uh, and and so on and so forth. They they visit all these grave sites because they believe that you know one they want to give respect and some actually believe they'll get blessing and blessings in their life by visiting and paying respect and so it's like hello <laughs> it's not foreign to judaism here's a question uh one john says how does uh i'm getting there um harmonize this atonement by by death of others, harmonize with Tanakh that states four times that no man can die for another sin. It is vicarious atonement. So this, the way that I've understood this is the other person who cannot die for the other sin, it doesn't necessarily say that that person is a righteous person. And so it's because in, in the Jewish um in the Jewish commentaries that I've read, it says because it doesn't specifically say that no righteous man can die for another sin, it, it's actually talking of plain, you know, trying his best, doing the things he can. They can't die for your sins, but nowhere in Torah does it say a righteous person cannot die of your sins and so they say because of the the lack of that phraseology the lack of that uh, that term there's evidence to suggest that we can go with that that theology and then we got parts of scripture where like for example noah wasn't is his righteousness the reason why the others were saved because it was Noah's righteousness. It wasn't his wife's righteousness. It wasn't his son's righteousness. It was his righteousness before God that atoned the salvation for those who were allowed on the ark with him because of association, right? And uh, same with, with Lot. Lot, 
he was allowed to to live it was because of him not his wife it was because of him that his wife was allowed to escape with him and and the daughters uh it was because of him not because of them so we see in scripture that there are elements of righteous people being able to be kind of like an umbrella of protection for those who associate with them and so this concept that a righteous man can die for the sins of others it falls under that umbrella of protection those who associate with the righteous man are saved under his umbrella i think it kind of goes the other way as well where you got a wicked man who like for example jonah yeah on the, on the ship right so you got a although i wouldn't maybe necessarily call jonah a wicked man but he had some problems <laughs> that, but, I mean, everybody suffered because of it yeah right um and i suppose one can argue as well like the the inhabitants all of the babies and elderly of sodom and gomorrah and of the days of noah and so on and so forth as well so it seems like it goes both ways um yeah, it could kingdom concepts kingdom concepts says i think he's saying that a righteous person symbolically atones so others will repent um although some of judaic religion has paganism mixed in but he's according to kingdom concepts it says it does say a righteous person cannot die for the unrighteous do you have a reference for that kingdom concepts yeah, so this is where we get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Of, but yeah. Um, you know, I was wondering what someone like, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure uh, you're you're aware of someone like um, Tovia. Tovia, uh, yeah. I wonder what he would say about this kind of stuff. That's I've why always, I... Because I've never heard him talk about those things. I don't think anyone has ever really brought it up to him, though yeah yeah you know uh lord willing if i ever I, he was actually on um a few months ago with me if I ever mm. have him again um lord willing i'll uh, i'll ask him about that that's why i asked you i like how i want to know how i want to be prepared <laughs> if i if i uh use this uh these these passages of the talmud i want to know what their point of view is right yeah, so I heard about Moad Katan before, but not the Yoma one, as far as I can remember. Maybe I, if I did, it slipped my mind. But it's interesting that in you know in the rabbinic mindset, if something is repeated, then regardless of how many times it's repeated, but if it is repeated, then there's something pretty important about it. And so, but it is interesting that it's kind of tucked away, not really talked too much about. Mm -hmm. It's almost hush hush kind of like isaiah 53 is forbidden uh to be read in the haftarah portions weekly you know you, if you want to read it you gotta read it with a rabbi along with you so it's that dangerous it's it's pretty dangerous that and daniel 9 oh heaven forbid you open up those two boom right away become a yeshua believer <laughs> See what I what I've come to what I've come to understand um, over all the the years of 
what I've been reading and, and, and researching and understanding. Um, I started out probably where you uh, were as well in the Christian world, where it's like the idea is the Torah cannot be obeyed, you know, except in a few. It's like, well, if, you know, there's 613 laws and if, you know, it's impossible to obey them all. Actually, it's impossible to obey them. You know, the way they present it anyway, it's like impossible. It's impossible to obey all of them. <laughs> That's the way they present it. Um. And so I've come to the understanding, and I would like your input on this, that according to the proper interpretation and application of the Torah, you are only to, you are only, God only expects you to obey what you can obey given the circumstances that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. So we got, like, for example, there's the, simple explanation of that and that is okay some laws are only for women not for men some you know most of them are actually only for levitical priests and not for the you know common man i guess you would call it some of them are for the strangers some of them are for the, for children and so you only you only uh you know the, the only ones that apply to you are the ones that you can actually that you can actually obey given the circumstances that you're in um, it's my understanding. I've come to the understanding that Christians have made their own Torah, hmm. although they don't call it Torah. They may, they have made their own Torah, uh, in the sense that like, for example, how do you get saved? Well, come forward and say the sinner's prayer. There's hmm. salvation. And so that is basically the Christian Torah. Hmm. That's what I've come to believe. And I and I speak as one who have, I've been guilty of this more times than I can count. I mean, I've been there, um, been there and done, been there and done that. But that's how I look at it. It's like they, they have their own Torah. How do you get saved? Well, boom. Like to me, that's, that's the Torah. The answer to that question is, the Torah and most Christians would tell you, and I understand this is this is one thing I've come to understand as well. I think most Christians would say it's not by works, unless no one should boast. It's got nothing to do with you, it's got all to do with Jesus. And then you ask them, What do you do to get saved? And then it's like, okay, you know, you get a you get a wide variety of things. Like some some of them would say you got to get baptized and believe, right? Um, some of them would say, Well, you know, uh, come with me to an evangelical meeting and we'll, you know, come forward and, you know, make a public statement of, of you know, that you accept Jesus and, and then you'll be saved. Some, be, you know, some of them believe that. Some of them believe that you have to uh, confess that he is Lord in order to be saved. According, And they all got their scriptures that they go by. Now, no matter which one it is, out of all those different camps of roads to salvation, how I see it and understand it is each one is a, they, they, they make their own Torah. They mm. draft their own Torah. They don't call it Torah. They don't look at it as Torah. And if you were to say that to them, I'm sure that would ruffle their feathers, but I think it's true. I think they make their own Torah. Now I, I've come to, I've come to believe that, the Torah, it can be, 
I say can be, depending on what circumstance you're in, extremely easy to obey. Like, for example, you have a newborn baby, right? Right? So that newborn baby, there's that that baby is born Torah obedient, okay? That baby is born, that baby is not transgressing any law anywhere. Oh, wait, don't, don't say that too loud. The original sin is going to, the alarms for original sin, original sin, original sin. Born well, a yeah. sinner. Born a sinner. Oh, boy. Yeah, these people condemn babies to hell. I, I think that's horrific as well. Um, yeah, and some people believe that you have to, that's why they baptize baby or sprinkle babies because they believe that's that's when they, you know, <laughs> I know you're, sounds like, it's a joke, right? But, uh, but I mean, they take it seriously. Uh, you know, they yeah. sprinkle babies thinking that this is how they are saved out of, you know, from original sin. Meanwhile, they don't even know that original sin is a complete total. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there there was an original sin. Yeah, they say they sinned. <laughs> but you're born with an inclination towards it, but it's a choice. <laughs> it's an action that you have to consciously do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my 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 own um Jordan says uh I just saw that out of the corner of my eye. Jordan says, "Don't say that to a Calvinist." Yeah. So, um, like the Torah, and this is what I get, and this is what a lot, I think a lot of Christians don't understand that the Torah can be, again, I use the word can because it depends on, I think that too much is given, much is required, right? So if you are, you know, if you're in a position where you are able to fulfill, you know, 200 of those 613, I think that it's required. Um, whereas a baby, it's not, nothing is required really. So, I mean, because a lot of people believe in, in, you saw some of my content there on TikTok and such, and a lot of people, I get it all the time. Like, you, you know, you, you believe in salvation by works. What do you mean by works? Because if, if you mean to actually go out and do what the Torah says, no. Because babies, I believe babies are saved without mm -hmm. those works, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And they're saved by the Torah in that sense, in the in the sense that they don't they don't transgress any law, mm -hmm. and they don't know at least consciously, intellectually low, know about Yeshua. So it's not that that saves them. It's the sense that they actually are in tune and this is why i say in tune with torah or sometimes i say in line with torah or aligned with torah instead of saying um like obeying torah because mm. sometimes when i say obeying torah you, you get the connotation of it you know that must be works mm. you know what i mean I'm, yeah. i i know i'm getting a little bit philosophical here but um i i, I just think that because of a lot of christians understanding of it they they don't see that they they don't see that it's it's not so much what you do as much as what you don't do mm. what is it again i i don't really buy into the 613 thing i haven't counted them myself so i can't mm. confirm them um and so 
I, I've read that even amongst Jewish scholars, they argue about that. <laughs> like how you say they argue about lots of things, but they argue about that. Some say there's more, some say there's less, whatever the case. But, you know, typically they say there's 613 because of that tradition that was handed down to them. Now, that's in the Talmud as well. Mm-hmm. And so according to that tradition, most of them are the negative laws or the thou shalt nots, right? The 365. 365, 248 positive. So yeah, um, in that sense, like how how I look at it is Yeshua came to preach Torah to clear up some of the muddied parts of the Torah um, to get people back online with the Torah in how to apply it properly and interpret it properly. And I believe that his death and resurrection would be for, would be useless without it being applied to you, to you uh, so that it would be a catalyst unto you repenting of your old self and living a life, a new life in line or in obedience, in, in tune with the Torah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people bring up the thief on the cross. Um, Well, the thief on the cross didn't do anything and he got saved. Well, you know, I think he did everything he could. Yeah. I really think he did everything he could given the circumstances that he was that he was in i think he he actually again using this terminology he fell in line with torah yeah i mean he repented that's number one right um he feared god that's Mm -hmm. another one he stuck up for a righteous man yeshua that's another one he called on the name of the lord that's another one Mm-hmm. He rebuked his neighbor, his brothers, for for his sin. That's another one. Right? 19, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's there, he did. He actually did a lot in, in his that... last. Pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs> one moment. Yeah. In one yeah. moment, he actually did a lot, and so I believe that is actually. And, and I know that Christians argue, saying, "No, no, it was his faith in Yeshua that did it." I get that and I understand that, but I, I look at it deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Yeshua, like when, when he turns to Yeshua and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Yeshua said, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Yeshua didn't say, well, first of all, you got to accept me as Lord and savior. Second of all, you got to realize that what I'm doing right now is paying for your debt. Hmm. You know, like he didn't go through that at all. It's like, cause I, I, I think that Yeshua looked at him and thought, I see. I, I, I recognize you have fallen in line with Torah as, as much as you possibly can. You got it. And so therefore you're in, you're in. Yeah. That's how I look at it. What do you think of that? No, I mean, it's, it, it, it falls in line with uh, what Yeshua taught in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 onwards. When the, the man asked them, how do I gain eternal life? And Yeshua answered very specifically, what does it say in the law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, good, do that and you'll live. And so in that moment, 
when you really when you said all those laws that he did, can you not summarize those under the categories of those two? He yeah. loved by showing his submittance and repentance. And by rebuking his neighbor, he was actually showing love to his neighbor. That's right. Because yeah, he was correcting him out of that love to make sure that he doesn't fall in the wrong path, and so because he doesn't want to incur sin because of him, and so he was actually doing exactly what Yeshua said before the crucifixion, and that goes that that blows out of the water the argument I hear of well that was pre resur or pre resurrection, Jesus. His teachings pre-resurrection. I don't know if you've gotten those. Uh, oh, those yeah. People. yeah. Yeah. And, so, uh, you know, I don't, I, the only things that apply are post-resurrection. I'm like, okay, well, now we got an issue. <laughs> now we got an issue here. Um, but I, I fully agree with you is that, you know, Yeshua, Yeshua actually says something like this in Luke 42, I think it is. I don't want to say the wrong, of course, the wrong thing. Um, maybe it's not Luke 42. Maybe it's, let's see here. Okay, here it is. Yeah, it's it's a little past 42. It's Luke uh, 44. This is post-resurrection, and he gives us the reason why these things had to happen. Yeshua said to them, this is what I meant when I was still with you and told you that everything written about me in the Torah of Moshe and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Tanakh, telling them, here is what it says. The Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name, repentance leading to forgiveness of sins. So now we're seeing this repentance leads to forgiveness it's repentance that leads to forgiveness is to be proclaimed to people from all nations starting with Yerushalayim and so that actually falls in line with exactly what you were talking about his death and resurrection was the first fruits of the people to repent and turn to the father showing us the way of how to do it and not only that, but showing us what happens when you do do it, which is you will resurrect into life. You will resurrect into the Garden of Eden, paradise, which is what he actually meant when he says paradiso. It's the Garden of Eden. And so, which is interesting because he was buried in the garden tomb. So when the rock rolled and he walked out, what did he first walk into? He walked it through a garden. <laughs> what kind of symbolism is this? <laughs> and uh, and so it's like that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk from our death into the garden. And his gospel message is all about repentance, turning from our sins, and and making teshuva, as it says in Hebrew, teshuva, which its root is shuv, which means to turn back. What are we turning back to? Turning back to the Father back to obedience, back to his instructions, back onto the narrow path. And that is, as he says in Luke 10, 25 onwards, is the way to life, is repentance, teshuvah. And so, you know, when he was dealing with the Pharisees and all these other people, he said, you know, if you're not going to believe in me, at least believe that the works I'm doing is from the Father. 
At least believe in that. He gave him kind of a minimum. At least believe in that. So what do we do with that one? And, you know, this whole, the Torah was not made for salvation per se. It was made to lead us to salvation. Because Torah is the instructions to life. And it's the instructions for life. So it's kind of a both and. You know, it's like, yeah, it's about faith and grace. That's always been there since the fall of Adam and Eve when, when God clothed them with animal skin. Where did he get that one? He must have had to do a sacrifice. That's not talked about in Genesis. But, uh, but it's action. It's faith that produces action. It's faith that you actually do something with. It's faith that you're not sitting on your tuchus saying, I got a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Good, you know, I just have to sit here and wait for my date to be called. And yet Yeshua says, actually, no. <laughs> there's, a, there's a vineyard you need to, to tend to. There's a lot of stuff you need to be doing. And, uh, and not only that, but isn't, it, isn't he saying that he's supposed to rearrange the furniture within our home? Isn't he supposed to be kind of like messing around with the heart? If we truly welcome him into our life, what's going on there? Are we just so focused on our IKEA furniture in a certain way that we want it, want our couch right here in this very specific spot? But Yeshua said, "Actually, I want it over there." Well, yeah, I, I understand you want it over there, but it's more comfortable for me if I put it right here. Like, no, we're gonna put it over there. So. The whole, the whole thing of what you just said is, is exactly spot on, in my opinion, is that he simply showed us the way of how to do it. He simply showed us the way. And it's up to you. Do you want to follow him or not? But remember what he warns in Revelation 3.16. If you want to be lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah. Um... That's excellent. I see we have a question over here on TikTok. Um, just before I get to that, um, I I get people a lot. They say to me, well, the Torah is only, the purpose of the Torah is just to show us how much of a sinner we are so that we need a savior. And, you know, I don't see that at all, at all in the, in the, in the scriptures. Um, that's, in my opinion, that is a man, that's a man-made thing because God said over and over again that his commandments, his laws are for our benefit. Actually, it, it, at least seven times, I think more than that, eight times where he says, obey these commands so that it may be well with you. Mm -hmm. He didn't even say so that you'd be, be saved, uh, but so that it'd be well with you. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do believe though that the Torah, in in the way that I have just explained it, in in that kind of application, not so much as the typical Christian point of view of it, but I do believe that the Torah is the way. I mean, you do these, you will live. Right? The just shall live by faith. But the the same in that same Tanakh, it says you do you do these commands, you obey this law, or you or let me just put it this way: you align yourself with this law. Not yeah. maybe not maybe not obey. It just depends on what circumstance you're in, but you sure. align yourself with this, 
that is your life. That is your eternal life. That's where, and that's like how you mentioned there earlier. That's when, when people came to Yeshua time and time again. How do we get, or how do we, how do we attain eternal life? Well, he always brought back the Tanakh. Well, the commandments, you, you know, the commandments. I find it very interesting because most Christians today would think if they wrote that, they would think, they, they would change that if they could, right? They would say, you know, so-and-so came to uh, Jesus and asked him, how do we obtain eternal life? Just believe that my blood pays your debt for your sin. Or just accept me in your Lord as, as or accept me in your heart as Lord and Savior. But that's not what he said. Um, in fact, the first words he says is, what does the law say? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he says, is, what does the law say? Exactly. Okay, so... Um, Okay, I'll get to you guys on YouTube in just a minute. There's a question here on TikTok uh, by Gage. And I know Gage has been asking this a while ago. This is kind of off the off the topic, but we'll, we'll address this briefly because I get this quite often. Uh, can you talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yeah, I can talk about that. Um, Gage, I, I would encourage you to go over on YouTube um, because I have a guest with me over there, you can hear his point of view as well as my, as well as mine. Uh, so, you know, that's what it's all about. That's what we like to have these fellowships and get everybody's, uh, input on. But I, you know, I can, I can, uh, I can put my two cents in there. Um, and then I'll ask, uh, Yitzchak, um, about his. So typically I know I've, I've understood and I've heard it so often. It's like, Oh, don't worry about it because not, uh, hold on because I'm, what I'm about to say might ruffle your feathers, but trust me, I'm, I'll get to the I'll get to the to the good stuff in just a moment. I've heard it said and taught. If you worry about it, that means you haven't done it. I do not believe that. Hmm. I think that people have done things. Like, for example, like Judas, right? That he's done something that's really, really horrible, perhaps even equal to that of being a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And yet he he worried himself to death. Um, so I don't I don't believe that. Uh, however, I, what my point of view is this. Let me just let me just back backtrack a little bit. I think that that teaching, in my opinion, was fabricated by a pastor or a Christian leaders who tried to calm people's fear about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what I just said probably stoked fears, and that's not, I'm, I'll, I'll get to the calming part in just a minute. I don't want to say things just to calm people of their fears, especially if the things is wrong. I believe it is possible to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and worry about it. I do believe it's because to say that you can blaspheme the, that if you if you worry about it, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Really, what in my opinion, that's kind of making you one with the Holy Spirit. Like everything you feel is the Holy Spirit. And everything the Holy Spirit feels is you. And it's it, to me, it's like it's just too. We have too much of that in the church already. People go, we got forty five thousand denominations. Everybody thinks that they feel and hear from the Holy Spirit. I have too much of that already. 
what I would say is this, and this is what this is the calming part of it. Gage, I know you've expressed this to me a few times before. I have not seen any evidence that you have. I'm not saying you haven't. However, it's no use worrying about it. If, if you have, it's really no use worrying about it. In fact, what I would suggest doing, instead of being paranoid about it or worried about it or losing sleep over it, what I would suggest is put it behind you, whether you did or not. I hope you didn't. And like I said, I don't see anything. I don't see any evidence that you actually did. In either case, put it behind you. Trust in God. Do everything you can do to obey the to, to obey the Father. Okay? Do everything you can do to bring other people on board to repentance and obedience and and living for God, and just let God be God. Don't worry. Just let God be God. I mean, worst case scenario, if you if you take that advice, is you lead many to the kingdom, and I mean, you'll cause parties in heavens any, anyway. I mean, the, the angels of heaven will be rejoicing in 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 partying. Worst case scenario, you'll be a you'll be a vessel that God uses for his glory. Best case scenario, you haven't done it at all anyway, so all the more better. Okay? I mean, so uh just losing sleep over it is really not going to do any good. The best thing to do is just do the best you can do from here on out and just leave it to God. That's my that's my advice. And I and I answer that way because I don't want to give you a false impression either way. Okay? Um, and I hope you're over there. I'm not sure if you're on TikTok or if you're listening on YouTube or not, but for those people who are listening, what would you say about that, brother? I mean, what you've pretty much shared covers my my feelings on that topic as well but my question of course is what really constitutes as blasphemy of the holy spirit because according to, and i and i i don't have the sources with me at the moment but from what i've read there are some sources that say that there is a equivocation of taking the lord's name in vain is equal to that of blasphemy of the holy spirit how many times have we in our own lives taken the Lord's name in vain? And what does it really mean to take it in vain? It doesn't mean saying, oh, gee, damn, or anything like that. No, it's saying it's, it's saying something or doing something in his name and bringing profanity into it. It's, it's, it's doing a bad business deal. This is how widespread this goes. You are a, a obvious believer in Yeshua. You're an obvious Christian, you're an obvious believer, a Jewish believer, whatever it is, and yet you swindle someone out of their money. You just took his name in vain because you're supposed to be a representative of the Lord. So now we're kind of making this not so much of a narrow sin that only some select people do, but rather this is something that is widely encompassed 
for all people. So now the question is, you know, and then the other part is, how many times have we may have made a mistake of saying this one teacher or this one prophet is a false prophet, but in reality, they actually became true. They actually were a true prophet or they were a true teacher from God. How, how often have we said, oh, that teacher is a, is a false teacher, but then later on came out to say, oh, actually he was teaching on behalf of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who used to be anti-Torah and, and, and so on, so, so on and so forth, we would look at the Torah people saying, oh, they're evil. And then later in life, we came to the realization, oh, dang, they were actually right the whole time. You were actually blaspheming the Holy Spirit because it is only through the Holy Spirit that we have the gift of teaching. And so you were actually blaspheming the Spirit of God by saying that he wasn't acting in the Spirit. And that's actually the context of Yeshua when they were saying they were actually saying that he was not doing his things out of the Spirit of God, but out of the Spirit of, of the adversary. Isn't that what so many people say about teachers who are actually working on behalf, teaching on behalf of the Holy Spirit, saying they're actually teaching from the works of Satan? They are technically, by that context, technically blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So now the issue comes in. If we have all been guilty of this in some way, shape, or form, why would he say it's an unforgivable sin unless he was being provocative and didn't actually mean it in the literal sense? So I come to the understanding that because his atonement, as it says in Scripture, atones for all sin, and it doesn't actually say all sin but one. It always says every single time it atones for all sin, all sin, all sin, all sin, all sins are washed, all sins are washed, all sins are washed. Nowhere in Torah does it say only one sin is not washed away when, when the high priest goes in for the Yom Kippur sacrifice. All sin is washed. Everything is washed clean. Now we have a contradiction on our hand. Is it all sin that's washed or is it all but one sin that's washed? And this is where it comes into understanding rabbinic culture makes so much sense. He was saying something so provocative to cause them to think and say, listen, what you're doing, you're unsaved now. And that should have caused them to go, what do you mean I'm not saved? Wait, 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 what do you mean? And that fear of the Lord... Because what was his whole thing? Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in the fire. He was putting the fear of God into them because what? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And not only that, but it leads to repentance. It leads to a true searching of your soul, asking God, am I unsaved? Lord, what can I do? I, I need to be saved. I need to walk in your ways. It wasn't to be taken as an actual literal thing, a condemnation, but rather saying what you're doing is going to lead to condemnation. You need to repent. This is how serious this is. And so for anyone who feels afraid of that, my advice is exactly what you said, brother. Just focus on what the Lord wants for you in your life. Keep running the race. Walk in obedience to the best of your ability. If you fall, repent, make teshuvah, go through that process. Come back to your father. He's waiting for you. He's going to put you on his shoulders like the prodigal son. Have a party. And 
everything is for the glory of God. Our life, when we give it over to him, it's for him. It's his life. It's for his, his glory. And so just keep bringing people into the kingdom and just have faith that the Lord is gracious. As you were speaking there, brother, I was thinking about um, another um, another point that I I brought up before. I didn't bring it up in this live stream. And that is that out of the entirety of like the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's like some 1500 years. How many times did God talk about that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit within 1500 years? Once, right, recorded by a few of the different gospel uh, authors, but once, as far as I know, once in 1500 years. Um, and so if it was something that, that God wanted us to worry about, or if, if, if it was something that was worth worrying about, he would talk about it in every book, hmm. right? Like what we're talking about, what Yitzhak is talking about, what I'm talking about is repentance and obedience. That is talk. That is in every book. Perhaps maybe the odd exception, maybe that maybe, well, I can't even think of an exception, but it's pretty much in every book, if not every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a common, it's a, it's a major, the major theme of scripture from God. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on how you interpret that too. And I, I'm glad, um, I'm glad uh, um, you, you uh, Yitzhak, it brought it up. And that is that, like, how do you interpret that? What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And I've heard that too, that, you know, just saying, you know, take, just saying, oh God, or something like that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I, I personally, I don't think it is. Um, I, I understand you could interpret that if you really want to, you know, do a broad umbrella over it all. Um, because if that's the case, I think Yeshua would be, you know, and, and, you know, the father all the way through history would be constantly harping on this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think it's specifically speaking against the spirit of God directly in black, in speaking evil things evil about the spirit of God, as in the case when those people, when Yeshua rebuked them for it, those people were saying that he operated by an evil spirit. Mm -hmm. So that was directly calling the Holy Spirit evil mm -hmm. or saying the Holy Spirit is an evil spirit. And so that is directly being a blasphemy, directly blatantly against the Holy Spirit. And that's the only place I think I, in, in the entirety of Scripture that we read about that. So I don't think that it's something that we should spend day and night worried about. I think we should spend more of our time uh, worried about what God talks about the most in Scripture. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I would have to say about that. Well, I agree. You know, we're, we're not supposed to give glory to the adversary. Yeah. You know, keep focusing on your sins and, and, and worrying about it, you're practically giving him worship. You're practically focusing so much on the schemes of, of the adversary 
But where is the redemption? Where we worship a God of reconciliation and restoration, a God of 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 repentance and saying, "Listen, yeah, you screwed up, but come back to me." Yeah, yeah. Here's a here's a really good question, powerful question on YouTube. You believe in forgiveness without repentance? Now, this 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 brings up a couple things for me, and I'll I'll let uh, uh, Yitzhak uh, talk about it. In, in, uh, but a couple of things is the answer, plain and simple for me, uh, is no. I don't. I don't believe in forgiveness without repentance. Um, I think it's quite clear. Again, all the way through Scripture, um, without repentance, there's no forgiveness. I know people would say, well, you know, you know, in the especially in the Old Testament, they brought their sacrifices and that covered their sins. The blood covered their sins. You know what? It didn't. It says it clearly. I mean, and let me just put, okay, let me make it clear. It didn't all the time hmm. because we have like, for example, like we can talk about it all the way through, but I mean, we have um, King Saul. He did the sacrifices, blood sacrifices, and he was condemned for it. No, he didn't do it in the proper way. He didn't do it according to the Torah. Um we have other people that did do it according to the Torah, but they were still rejected. Amos chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 66, to name a few, where, uh, you know, God made it very clear, I despise your sacrifices. You might as well just break a dog's neck and offer swine's blood. I don't, I, those sacrifices do not, he didn't say it directly, but Indirectly, it's very, very well implied. Those sacrifices do not cover your sins. Mm. That blood does not cover your sins because you didn't repent. There's no repentance mixed in with that. So I think that we can have, if, if there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. Now, and that brings me to number two. And this is something I kind of throw out there as a, a little bit of a teaser, but I do believe this. The second unforgivable sin, if you want to put it that way, is unforgiveness. Mm. Yeshua said, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. I mean, <laughs> there you go, right? I mean, that's an unforgivable sin too. I, I'd be more worried, Gage, I'd be more worried, honestly, brother, I would be more worried about unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart than I would be about what you know about some past blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I, there's a testimony of a brother in, um, um, he lived in Nigeria. His name was um, Daniel. And um, he was a Pentecostal pastor, preaching the gospel, evangelist, tongue speak, you know, speaking in tongues, tongue talking pastor, you know, believed in the, oh, the whole, you know, the whole nine yards. But he had a problem with his wife. And he didn't get along with his wife very well. Mm. And um, you can actually see the testimony. It's actually in a video series. It's a video called Lazarus Phenomena. Lazarus Phenomena. For those of you who want to know where, what my source is, you can check it out. Um, one day, he, he was a pastor. Uh, he got in a quarrel with his wife. And he just took off in a rage and got in his car and he ended up getting in a car a serious car accident and actually dying. 
he was clinically dead, pronounced dead on the scene. Um, two or three days later, I forget how many days it was exactly. It's in it's in that video. Uh, an evangelist by the name of Reinhard Bonnke. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Reinhard Bonnke. Are you Yitzhak? No. Reinhard Bonnke. He was um, an evangelist in Africa. Uh, one of the one of the um, primary uh, mo- most famous event. Like how Billy Graham is over here. Basically, is uh, Reinhard Bonnke over there? Anyway, so he was coming to the city. Um, within days of the passing of this man. And so his wife, in faith, decided to, uh, got permission to take the, the body out of the funeral home to the meeting. It's actually on video. It's actually on video, in that video. And all kinds of people were praying over the body, and Daniel rose from the dead, according to the according to this 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 thing he actually has his own death certificate and he actually he again take it for what it is i understand a lot of people believe it or not believe it whatever the case is he actually produces his own uh death certificate and um uh instruments uh that they use to embalm him Hmm. if you don't believe it. Well, I guess you don't believe in God. I mean, because I, I believe that God, if God can create the world and God can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can certainly uh, cause embalming fluids to turn, to go back to the original blood that it was supposed to be. Anyway, um, believe it or not. Anyway, so Daniel, you should see it in the video, actually, when Daniel actually comes back from the dead in the video, in the video, he's he sits up and his eyes are like, He's looking around like where, like he's like shocked, like the biggest look of shock on his face. He's speechless, literally speechless. The whole so, anyway, so he said, according to his testimony, he said when he died, uh, he had an experience where a couple angels come and got him and took him to heaven. What he claims, you know, what he calls heaven, um, and. He explained heaven as most people do as very colorful and and um, beautiful and you can hear the praises of God and everything praising God even the grass is basically swaying to the to the to the praises of the Lord everything is good. and then he says these angels said now we're going to go to a different place and they took him to a place that he called hell and he 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 um ex- uh, describe this place like how the traditional explanation is that these people there are countless people screaming in torment and in fire and in flames and all this kind of thing and he said the angel turned to him and said daniel if the book of your life would close today this would be your portion Hmm. and he's like are you sure you got the right guy no, you can't. It can't be. No, I mean, no, <laughs> no. Listen, I mean, I'm born again. I speak in tongues. I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have the gospel. It can't be true. 
He said that the angel turned to him and said, it is true, Daniel, because you have not forgiven your wife. God has not forgiven you. Wow. That's amazing. He was shocked. Uh, and so anyway, I'll never forget that testimony. Again, if you're if anybody who's interested in listening to it, it's just phenomena. And there's actually several testimonies. He's won several on there. But that's another thing. Like forgiveness without repentance, no. But forgiveness of unforgiveness, no. <laughs> According to the word of Yeshua himself. All right, so uh, very good uh, question there. No Google, it's hot. What would you say? Well, uh, I, I I will have to be uh, get going here pretty soon uh, for my my uh, wedding rehearsal for tomorrow. Wow! Congratulations. So, I will thank you. Only way that can happen. You're back. All right. Okay. I don't know what happened there. I guess. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. So the the only way that coming back to the Garden of Eden can happen is through Teshuvah, through repentance. Why? Because Teshuvah, there's a deep message in the Hebrew. It actually explains what is really going on in the very word Teshuvah. You are returning back to the Garden of Eden. You are returning back to the Father. And so the question is, if you want to go into paradise, if you want to end up in the garden with the Father, which is heaven, you need to turn back to it. And you need to walk to it, run to it. You need to get to it. But unfortunately, the path that one is on is a path that leads to destruction. It leads to the thorn bushes. It leads to, to the, the, the snares. It leads to the death. But the path to the garden is a path that we have to consciously choose in our heart, in our mind, in our actions. That is a path that we need to consciously, consciously choose daily. And so, you know, God has his grace. His grace will, will guide you towards that. But just like with, with everything else and everything else, there's a whole story on the want to believe in the God of Israel. He did not want to, but he was being beaten into submission. And so God, out of his compassion, knowing the true desires of the heart of Pharaoh to rebel, gave him the, the ability to keep going. God, out of his compassion, even though he knew by, by hardening his heart would be in direct rebellion to him, God knew that that was the compassionate thing to do. 
but the thing is is god gives us the tools he gives us the instructions he lays it out pretty clearly and he says you want to come back to the garden i got the i got the map for you I got the left-right sheet for you. You want to know where to take a left, where to take a right, where to get some water along the way, where to find some food along the way. Got it right here for you. I got it right here for you. This is the map. Anytime you stray off the map, you're going to go off a cliff. You got to stay on path. You got to stay on path. And so I firmly, I firmly believe that repentance. Now here's the question people will say. What level of repentance is it? That's up to God. I'm not here to say what level is higher than the other. But what I'm saying is there has to be repentance and an active desire to turn from the life you were once living to a life that the Lord wants to make new for you now. There has to be that change. There has to be an active change that leads to life oh man that's awesome awesome word Yitzhak um for some reason you're frozen on, on my end and yeah I just gotta I'm not sure if anybody else actually I don't know what everybody's seeing here but I see um, just a frozen image of Yitzhak. I saw a frozen image of you for a while too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It seems to be a bad connection. I apologize uh, for that, but, um, thank you very much. Uh, Yitzhak, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. I have, honestly, I have sensed the presence of the Lord just, uh, just talking to you during the entire time. Um, you're, you're, uh, you're a wonderful blessing brother. Well, I appreciate you taking time to have this conversation, praying that we'll do it again. Uh, yes. And soon uh, going into some more, some more meat, if you will, of the map. Sure. Uh, and uh, just bring in the truth. But I, I appreciate you, brother. And I just want to uh, pray a blessing over you, your family, and everyone who's listening as well. Um, it's an ancient blessing. It's not mine. It's God's. It's his blessing that he gave to Aaron, uh, to Moses, who gave it to Aaron to bless the people of Israel. So I really do sincerely want it to be a song in your heart, in your family's heart. And for those of us, uh, those uh, listening later, listening on YouTube, or wherever you're listening, that'll be a song in yours as well. Yevarechecha Adonai v'yeshmerecha, ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance over you and grant you his shalom, his peace. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of all peace, Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Messiah. So may that be a song in your heart to keep running the good race and uh i can't wait to sit at the banquet table with you and abraham and moses and i called dibs on having a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with adam i just have <laughs> just a couple i'm not there's no no hitting there's no hitting no 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 hazing 
but I just got a couple of questions for him. <laughs> but I can't wait to sit with you all at the banquet and uh, hopefully we'll have another video before then. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have Kingdom Concepts says, great guest. We have Jordan says, this has been an absolute blessing. And I say amen and amen to that. So yes, uh, and, and I, I, just, uh, I just pray that the Father bless you in your, you said you're getting married tomorrow. Tomorrow, today I'm doing my, uh, my wedding rehearsal. So it's a Jewish wedding. Um, so there's a lot of things happening all at once, but I got to go pick up my best man right at about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So sure, sure. rehearsal and, uh, and then tomorrow, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Getting married. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. The, the eve of the month of ER, which is the Hebrew month of blossoming, new beginnings. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm going to wrap up the uh, live stream as well right now. I've been on live. I've been, I've been living for a long time, and especially the past 24 hours. Um, so thank you again um for your time and for you've been a blessing uh brother i i really appreciate your time and uh, what you had to share here and so yeah we got some people in the comments as well saying congratulations to you and you know i pray that the blessings that you have just blessed me and everyone else listening with is multiplied back to you and i pray the father would greatly bless your your uh uh the uh the marriage, uh, the uh, the ceremony tomorrow, your rehearsal tonight, and uh, your 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 new life to come. Uh, I just pray that that fa the Father would make it a wonderful, wonderful, and fruitful blessing upon you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I accept all the blessings, all the prayers. I need it. I need Amen. it. So, Amen. Amen. I love you all, and uh, we'll have another video soon. Absolutely. All the best, brother. Funny brother. Yeah, love you too, brother. Ah, what a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful brother we have there, don't we? Um, really appreciate that guy. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be wrapping this up. Um, I've, I've, I've been doing. Sorry about this, guys. I know I usually do a, a lot longer. We've been going two and a half, two and a quarter hours so far. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been live streaming quite a bit in the past two or three days. So. Um, I will be back tomorrow night, Lord willing. We'll keep it, uh, you know, keep the schedule as per normal. Uh, tomorrow night, we will get back into uh, getting into some of the scriptures and uh, and also more of the questions and comments and questions questions and answers. I'm, I again, I apologize. I know there were probably a few questions that we missed here tonight in the live chat, but uh, please, if you can, if you will, come back tomorrow evening. We are going live every single day by the grace of God, every day, um, 7 p.m. Eastern, except for Saturdays, 2 p.m., okay? If you're not uh, subscribed or if you're not following, make sure you subscribe or follow right now uh, so that you don't lose me and so that uh, make sure you got those uh, no notifications on as well so that when we, when we do go live, you can jump on and, and join us. Amen. Um, yeah, so one John says, uh, thanks, Christopher. Shalom. Um, Great Deception says, Shabbat Shalom. Caballero. 
Caballero says, thank you so much. See you tomorrow. Blessings. And thank you as well. Brother, you're a blessing. Uh, happy Lamb says, Shabbat Shalom. The Tower Time says, stay blessed. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Amen. Again, I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. You guys are world changers. So I'll see you tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Eastern. Until then, until then, have a great, great uh, evening or day, wherever you are in the world. The Lord bless you. As always, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.